The MarTech Podcast is a proud member of the I Hear Everything Podcast Network. Looking to launch or scale your podcast? I Hear Everything delivers podcast production, growth, and monetization solutions that transform your words into profit. Ready to give your brand a voice? Then visit IHearEverything.com. From advertising to software as a service to data. Across all of our programs and clients, we've seen a 55 to 65% open rate. Getting brands authentically integrated into content performs better than TV advertising. Typical lifespan of an article is about 24 to 36 hours. If we're reaching out to the right person with the right message and a clear call to action, then it's just a matter of timing. Welcome to the MarTech Podcast, a Ben J. Shap LLC production. In this podcast, you'll hear the stories of world-class marketers that use technology to drive business results and achieve career success. We'll unearth the real-world experiences of some of the brightest minds in the marketing and technology space so you can learn the tools, tips, and tricks they've learned along the way. Now here's the host of the MarTech Podcast, Benjamin Shapiro. Welcome to the MarTech Podcast. Today, we're going to discuss how ABM should fit into your marketing strategy. Joining us is John Miller, who's the Chief Product Officer at DemandBased, which is the leader in account-based marketing and an indispensable part of the B2B tech stack. DemandBased offers the only end-to-end ABM platform that helps B2B marketers identify, win, and grow the accounts that matter the most. Yesterday, John and I talked about marketing's role in shaping corporate strategy, and we touched a little bit on his distinguished career. And today we're going to talk more about ABM and the digital versus the human in that medium of marketing. All right, on with my conversation with John Miller, Chief Product Officer at DemandBase. John, welcome back to the MarTech Podcast. Thank you very much. Excited to continue our conversation. Yesterday, we first and foremost talked a little bit about your experience in the developing industry of MarTech, and we got into what you're doing now, ABM, and how marketing and strategy overlap in ABM and how they're also working on corporate strategy. Today, I want to double-click into more of the practice of ABM. And to me, there's kind of a dynamic that we're facing here with all products that are related to more sophisticated targeting. We're able to do better targeting, more digital touch points, But on some level, we're starting to take the human element out of the communication. We are not physically, you know, writing letters by hand. We're not typing out the emails ourselves. They're just kind of being sent. Talk to me about some of the challenges and benefits of that digital versus human dynamic within ABM. I think that one of the great things about ABM is when we focus on a smaller market, it lets us bring more of the human touch, you know, into the equation. And I think email is just a perfect example. When you think about the typical response rate you get when you send out an email blast from a marketing automation system or kind of email provider, right? I mean, people are happy if they get 2% response rate. Are they? (laughs) Right, which means that you basically failed on 98%. Who's happy about that? (laughs) Well, people who are used to 1.5% are pretty happy when they get the, you know. Fair. So the point being is when you send out a blast email, generally you expect most people are not going to respond. That's sort of the base expectation. But if I send you an email as a human, the general expectation is probably more often than not, somebody should respond to you. And again, if it's a cold email, not as less, but still you get much better response rates from the human touch. 
but again, it just doesn't work to do that for every person at every company, et cetera. So when you can focus your efforts onto a smaller set of accounts, you can bring in these higher touch tactics. All right. So I've got a couple examples here of email sent from a person's account as opposed to emails sent from a company are more effective. I'll use our sales outreach for the MarTech podcast. I send the emails from my inbox. They are templatized. We use a service called MixMax where I'm uploading all of my leads, all of the variables that I need to include in the email, but the emails are always going to be the same thing. When I send them from the MarTech podcast account, we get the 2 to 3% open rate. When I send them from my personal email account, I see a 10 to 15% response. So what is it about just the idea that a person, even though we're marketers, everybody listening to this podcast probably is on some level, we understand that when I get an email from a person, it still might be in marketing automation. Why is it that an email that is from a personal account converts better than from a company, even when we know that it's just a technology solution that's sending the email anyway? Well, I would first of all say, you know, what you're doing is sort of middle tier level of human. Like, yeah, it's coming from a person, which means it's probably less likely to get hit by a spam filter. That's going to give you the more advantages. But to me, where the real magic happens here is when you actually can bring in a level of personalization and actually bring in something that lets the recipient know that this isn't a mass thing, you know, that went happened. And whether that's just mentioning a contact you have in common or you spend two minutes to understand what school they went to and that their football team won last weekend. I mean, little things, to me, what they actually are is they're signals of this isn't a mass email. This is a human who's reaching out to you and therefore it's worth paying more attention to. So let's talk a little bit about direct mail for a second. So, you know, at Engageo, we used to send different levels of packages to different kinds of customers. You know, and some people, you know, for lower tier accounts, We'd send a generic package. It's got our socks. It's got my book. It's got some other goodies in there. And maybe a quick handwritten note. And we would get 15, 20% response rates from those. For super strategic accounts, though, and what ones we really want, we'd go and we research the person and the company. What are they like? Oh, this is a Philadelphia Eagles fan. Right? We're sending them a Philadelphia Eagles tailgating kit. That poor guy. <laughs> <laughs> or we had another customer who her Twitter profile said she liked wine and chocolate. So we sent her something and said, Cadbury and wine for five minutes of your time. Ben updates his Twitter account here. Uh, <laughs> and we would literally get an 80% response rate on this kind of highly personalized you know, direct mail. And again, sometimes it's just cutesy, but it sends this to the person, we paid attention to you, which stands out in today's market. So there's some nuance there. If somebody reaches out to me and they're like, hey, Boston University, love Boston. It's a wonderful town. That's great. Doesn't move the needle on how much I'm going to engage with their email address, even though it is personalized. You have to understand what are the triggers that actually matter to someone as well. And then on the flip side, there is cost associated with that personalization. So a special thanks to our presenting sponsor, Mutinex, ready to take your team from I think to I know. Then join brands like Samsung, ING, and Asahi, who make better marketing decisions with Mutinex. Mutinex Growth OX, the marketing mixed modeling platform that makes measuring ROI fast, easy, and cost-effective. Request a demo at mutinex.co. That's M-U-T-I-N-E-X dot co. Time for a one-minute break to hear from our presenting sponsor, Mutinex. 
1919, John Wanamaker said, half the money I spend on advertising is wasted. I just don't know which half. Well, the advertising landscape has changed since then, and instead of reaching your audience on two channels, you're probably reaching them on 20. Turns out John didn't know how easy he had it. But that doesn't mean that you should give up on striving towards marketing effectiveness. No matter how complex your marketing strategy is, Mutinex Growth OX is the market mix modeling platform that measures the impact of marketing on your bottom line. Mutinex's market mix modeling platform calibrates your insights against the latest market conditions so you can make media and marketing investment decisions confidently and quickly. Ready to take your team from I think to I know? Then join brands like Samsung, ING, and Asahi who make better marketing decisions with Mutinex. Mutinex Growth OX, your best decision starts here. To learn more about Mutinex, go to mutinex.co. That's M-U-T-I-N-E-X dot co. Okay, here's the rest of today's interview. How do you figure out what's the right lever to pull in terms of where you're pulling your targeting from or what you think the variables are that you're including? And how do you figure out how much personalization is the right based on the account size? Well, this goes back to what we talked about in the last episode to a large degree. It's about kind of tiering the accounts and putting higher level entitlements into the higher level tiers for the big accounts, the ones that are worth six, seven figures you know, for you. What I'm trying to say is do the things that don't scale, partly because they don't scale. And the fact that they don't scale sends to the buyer a signal that you are special and we're kind of standing out. Whereas for your tier threes, your tier fours, you know, your five-figure deals and so on, you're not going to support that level of expense and customization for them. There's too many of them and they're frankly, you know, the ROI isn't there. And so it's all about that tiering and the entitlements and getting that right. Yeah, to me, that's an important distinction. And it speaks specifically to how to figure out whether you need or what type of ABM strategies you need is you have to understand what your customer bandwidth is and what the potential value of the customers are before you figure out what your marketing strategy is going to be to reach out to them. We've talked a little bit about the seven-figure, eight-figure customers as opposed to the three to four-figure customers. What are some of the types of personalization that you've seen be effective based on the tiers you laid out with your ABM strategies? So the super high end, it's completely bespoke content. It's researched. I think where people are more interested is like, okay, what works kind of in the middle levels? We had a customer who would just send their prospect a little letter, but that had that prospect's name spelled out in Scrabble letters. And it worked, right? And again, I believe it worked because it was clearly something that didn't scale. So therefore, it stood out. That same company would also pick 50 accounts they wanted to go after, identified the key person in each of those accounts. And basically, once a month, they sent them a business book that they thought would be relevant to that persona, if you will. And they called it the company's Bloomreach. They called it the Bloomreach Book of the Month Club. And it just created brand and affinity with those 50 people at those 50 companies. But they knew that this company really focused on them and sort of, you know, kind of cared about them. And that's not super hard to scale or execute. Yeah, it seems like the takeaway here is a little bit of a gifting strategy on some level where whether it's content analysis, books, depending on the tier, you're kind of figuring out how much to give away. 
There's also the resource component. When you're thinking about executing an ABM strategy, obviously there's a technology solution that we should talk about. And there's also the headcount. How do you think about staffing out for ABM? And how do you think about where and when you should buy your technology? I think that the top tiers of ABM can be somewhat human intensive, more than they are program dollar intensive. Again, if you want to sort of do the $5 million, everything is bespoke. At the biggest companies practicing it, those ABM marketers are handling on average four accounts because you're being kind of so specific and so bespoke. Whereas you kind of move down the tiers to the more scalable ones and technology can play a bigger role. Obviously, each individual marketer is handling bigger and bigger sets of accounts. I don't think there's any magic here or secret formula to use in terms of the exact staffing numbers. The one thing I will say is it does seem that the companies that sort of dedicate somebody to ABM at least as an overall program owner, seem to be more successful than people who just sort of say, well, we all do ABM and kind of letting the responsibility get distributed. When you say somebody is dedicated to ABM, is that there is a person on the sales team that is responsible for ABM or there is a ABM coordinator who is managing the work between sales, marketing, products, what have you? It's a marketer who is sort of responsible for making sure the company has an end-to-end ABM strategy and is executing on it. I guess the last question I have for you, Demandbase is a technology platform, and it is similar to your work at Marketo. It is not for everyone. It is for certain companies that have certain ABM needs. Who should be investing in ABM technology? What's the point of maturity of your business, or is there a specific customer value that you recommend you know, marketers start thinking about integrating ABM into their strategies? Well, every company that's selling that has deals that are above $25,000 a year should be thinking about ABM for all the reasons that we sort of talked about. So the question is, when do you need to start thinking about technology to support the ABM strategy? And that's, I think, when you achieve at least some level of scale where it literally just can't be done by people. And this is a real rough rule of thumb, but when a company is about 25 million of revenue or let's say 100, 150 people, that's about when we typically start seeing, okay, their level of ABM is complex enough that technology is going to make a really big impact. I know I said that the last question was my last question, but here's my real last question. I get that you're starting to think at uh, $25 million in revenue, 150 people when the scale is becoming an issue. But on some level, it seems like there should be some sort of an intent signal that you're chasing after when you're trying to understand nuances in consumer intent. How do you think about how customer's intent actually relates to ABM? So the whole idea of an intent data is probably one of the most exciting things that's happening in ABM these days. Intent data is the ability to know what topics a company is kind of researching and looking at out on the open web, and then using those signals to kind of know which companies might be actually in market and looking for your solutions and products now, as opposed to other times. And the reason why intent data is so interesting then is because it takes this prioritization problem that we've been talking about and really focuses it on the hottest accounts. Put another way, we can't be human and personalized and highly relevant if I have a target list of 1,000 accounts or 2,000 accounts. Two of them who might be in market at that given time. Yeah, if you know which of those are like showing buying signals right now, send them the package. (laughs) Have your executives send personal emails to them. And I think that's really been a huge innovation in ABM just in the last year or two 
is using this as a way to really move the spotlight and focus that extra effort into the kind of hottest accounts where it really matters. Yeah, it's an interesting and developing medium. John, I appreciate you coming on the show and telling us about your experience and about the developments in ABM. Thanks for being our guest. Thank you. All right. And that wraps up this episode of the MarTech Podcast. Thanks to John Miller, Chief Product Officer at Demandbase for joining us. If you can't wait until our next episode and you'd like to get in touch with John, you can click on the link to his LinkedIn profile in our show notes. You can contact him on Twitter. His handle is John Miller, J-O-N-M-I-L-L-E-R, or you could visit his company's website, which is demandbase.com. Just one more link in our show notes I'd like to tell you about. If you didn't have a chance to take notes while you were listening to this podcast, head over to martechpod.com where we have summaries of all of our episodes and contact information for our guests. You can also subscribe to our once a week newsletter. You can even send us your topic suggestions or your marketing questions, which we'll answer live on our show. Of course, you can always reach out on social media. Our handle is martechpod on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, or you can contact me directly. My handle is benjshap, B-E-N-J-S-H-A-P. And if you haven't subscribed yet and you want a daily stream of marketing and technology knowledge in your podcast feed, we're going to publish an episode every day this year. So hit the subscribe button in your podcast app and we'll be back in your feed tomorrow morning. All right, that's it for today. But until next time, my advice is to just focus on keeping your customers happy. Thanks for listening to the MarTech Podcast, and I hear everything production. Looking to launch or scale a podcast like this one for your brand? Then visit IHearEverything.com.